And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf, and joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Good to be here, Dan. And Dr. John Vance. Happy to be here. Well, pastors, it's great to have you here today on a Saturday. You know, uh, last week, uh, is it one week already, uh, we talked about the church and the nature of the church and how that God has put that uh, visible church in place and that it lasts until the last day. Um, God uses his church. And we were talking about aspects of the church last week, John. Uh, It was one holy, apostolic, Catholic, and um, one of our listeners had some questions concerning our use of the word Catholic. So um, maybe what we could do today is follow up just a little bit more and at least review um, the word Catholic in this context. Uh, First of all, uh, is it a noun? Is it an adjective? And how does that relate to the Roman Catholic Church? And help us uh, understand that a little bit better. Well, when we think of Catholic today, we think of the Roman Catholic Church, and in that case, it is in fact used as a noun. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so many people think, well, if it's Catholic, they automatically think the Roman Catholic Church. But in fact, when the term Catholic is used in the Confession, uh, especially when it was uh, initially put in, say, the uh, the early creeds, mm-hmm. this was long before the Roman Catholic Church really had come to be, and and was used as an adjective. I mean, it, it, you you read the phrase there, and all those things are adjectives describing the nature of the church. And so the Catholic used in that term is describing the nature of the church. It's an adjective. In fact, it's a a mark of the church. The uh, words that appear in the Nicene Creed, one holy Catholic and apostolic church, describes the four marks of the church. We love and appreciate the fact that the church is apostolic, that Mm -hmm. Jesus appointed apostles, and they are the foundation That is a mark of the church, and that uh, is important to remember. Uh, It's also important to remember that the church is Catholic, which uh, is an important word, and as Mark has pointed out, uh, we're using it as an adjective to describe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is Catholic. Now, you might ask, um, what exactly does the word Catholic mean? Well, it comes from a Greek word that means whole. So we're talking about the nature of the church, uh, meaning that it, well, for instance, take that uh, important passage in Ephesians concerning uh, the people of God where it says, uh, and it is a prayer, it's in the form of a prayer, for this reason, uh, says the Apostle Paul, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And so the people of God uh, are Catholic in the sense that it includes those who've gone on to be with the Lord and are in his presence. Hmm. It includes those who are who are professed a true faith in Christ right now and all those in the future who will come. So it's past, present, and future. We, we really can't give up on that word. Uh, it it is such an important word, and it predates the Roman Catholic Church, of course. Is the word Catholic antithetical to love, brotherly love? I, I, I'm, I would be uh, 
uh, mystified to think that it could possibly be. <laughs> yeah, I, that came out of the blue and was kind of part of our listener's question, so I thought I'd bring that up. Uh, I, I don't think so. In fact, yeah. I think that it is the the that is the true church, and and brothers and sisters love mm-hmm. each other in that church. Let me see if yeah. I can help a little bit too. Um, not you guys, but um, regarding the listener question that came in. Sometimes we will find concepts in the scripture that we give a term to. And just like you have pointed out, John and Mark, um, the wholeness uh, really is a Catholicity. So when we study the nature of God being Trinity, the word Trinity is not found in the scriptures either, and yet it's an appropriate word to use. Yes, we we use words to describe what we... Mm -hmm experience and see and read and what we read in the bible uh we we can um if you will uh designate terms to describe that mm-hmm. and the word trinity is is wonderful god is father son and holy spirit one god in three persons mm. well the word catholic is just like the word trinity though it does not appear as such in the scriptures though the word whole appears many times but it does not appear uh, as such in the scriptures mm-hmm. what is described there about the people of God. I don't know of another word that uh, can mm-hmm. be used other than the word Catholic. Yeah, I think, you know, when you use a, a term like that, it these terms grew up often out of, sometimes out of controversy, sometimes out of the, the early church starting to grow, and and as the nature of the church uh, has grown. They see the need of of a term that is very useful, and and I think one of the things that we see as the church started to grow was uh, the need for a, a sense of real unity. Because mm-hmm. if you understand before uh, the first century here, uh, the people of God were Jews; they were ethnic. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there was always a real sense at that time of almost an us and them when it came to Jew and Gentile. And and that had to be broken down. The middle wall of partition has been broken. Yes. And it has. And, and Jesus yeah, did point. it. But in the even in the eyes of the apostles, that was a difficult thing. You look at Peter. I've struggled with it, didn't I? Oh, he, he struggled with it. Hmm. Not just once, but a number of times. We look at Acts chapter 10, and, and of course, Acts chapter 10 talks about his vision in Joppa of that sheet coming down, and God saying, kill and eat, and he said, not me, I'm kosher. I'm mm-hmm. a kosher Jewish boy. Mm-hmm. I don't do that stuff. <laughs> and, 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 and God saying, no, you, you do that. Don't call anything unclean which I have called clean. And then, of course, Cornelius's representatives come to him, and, and then he goes to Caesarea, and uh, Cornelius comes to faith. And Peter understands what God was telling him is this division between Jew and Gentile is broken down. Mm-hmm. Now, did that settle it? Well, we had a council in Acts chapter 15 in Jerusalem about that very thing. And Peter stands up and, and he gives the right answers. And then we look at Galatians chapter 2 when we find out he backslid. He backslid. <laughs> That's exactly right. He, he gets together and he separates He separates from the Gentiles and just hangs out with the Jews, and Paul had to uh, rebuke him to yeah. his face. That was a big struggle in the early church, 
And if we understand that, then you understand why you have a need for these terms and uh, why being a Catholic church, not just a, a Jewish church, but the Catholic yes. church is so important. Well, it means that we don't have to be converted to cultural Judaism to be saved. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, Westminster Confession of Faith uh, in Chapter 25 on the church has maybe the most beautiful summary hmm. uh, that I know of in um, – in the the creeds that have been used by Christians, let me read uh, one, two, and three of this, uh, and it's it's quite full. And and uh, bear with me a second. The Catholic or Universal Church, which is invisible, it says in the first article, consists of the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ, the head thereof and is the spouse, the body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Article 2 says, The visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children, and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. And then Article 3, Unto this Catholic, visible church, Christ has given the ministry, oracles, and ordinances of God for the gathering and perfecting of the saints in this life to the end of the world and does by his own presence and spirit, according to his promise, make them effectual thereunto. I just don't think there is a better summary of what mm-hmm. the Catholic Church is. Yeah. There you have uh, the ethnicity passing into Catholicity. Mm-hmm. There you have the oracles and the gospel that are part of the church. There you have the universal past, present, and future. It's, it's, it's a glorious term. No other term can fill the bill. That is the only term that's grown up in church history to describe Mm -hmm. what is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's helpful, and I thank you for that. Uh, Taking more time uh, today on this broadcast to uh, cover that, explain it. I see we're up against a break here. This is Redeemer Broadcasting's A Plain Answer. Joining me today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Stay with us now. We'll be right back after the break. We'll be right back with our program in just a minute. Now a reminder that your gifts to this ministry enable us to bring you thoughtful, Christ-centered programming 24 hours a day. Would you prayerfully consider helping us with a tax-deductible gift this month? Redeemer Broadcasting is a 501c3 not-for-profit broadcast ministry. 
We're entirely listener-supported and have no advertisements. If you would like to help support us this month, and perhaps in the future, our mailing address is Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Once again, Redeemer Broadcasting, Post Office Box 1520, Olive Bridge, New York, 12461. Stay with us now for the second half of our program. And welcome back. You're tuned to A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. We were following up on a discussion that was really from last week and then interaction with a listener. And we were talking today about the word Catholic and how that it is a good word. And it's uh, really an essential word. It's an adjective, the way we use it, as describing the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that got me thinking, gentlemen, and you suggested to me while the mic was off, um, there's probably any number of words that uh, are used to describe important concepts in the scriptures that maybe um, as we complete our discussion today, we could work through a few of these words. So this is like saying, sick him to a dog. <laughs> um, what word would you like to discuss today? Well, we start with a atonement. Atonement. Mm. It's it's a it's a an English word, of course. Atonement. Uh, it's not found in the Bible as such, except in the form of a translation. Uh, it means at one moment. So it, it really is, does. Yeah, yeah, it does describe yeah. it does describe a, an important matter in the Scripture, and that is that when Christ died for sinners, he made us one with our Father in heaven, and, of course, he reconciled us to our neighbor. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's, it's a great and important word. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, he indeed reconciled us or brought us in agreement to our Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that that word also implies is the separation that we have from God, that we needed to have this atonement. In other words, uh, understanding that Mm. we were enemies with God before Christ uh, died for our sins, before we trust him. I think that's Mm -hmm. an important thing because we have this, this concept in this world of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man, which is not a biblical concept at all. In scriptures, we see, apart from Christ, God is not our Father. He certainly is our Creator, but then is also our Judge and our enemy. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. And, uh, you know, before Luther came to his faith in Christ and really received the atonement, his biggest enemy, well, he once said, love God, I hate God. <laughs> you know, and, and of course, so the reason he hated God was because he saw he was sinful, he saw his alienation from God, and he saw in the Scripture that God judges sin, and God does. Mm. Uh, but when he came to faith... And then he realized that Christ had atoned for his sin, mm-hmm. and God was not his judge. He was then, in fact, his father. Mm-hmm. I think Luther uh, puts it this way. He said that he had three enemies, uh, yeah. Satan, of course, the flesh, of yeah. course, and God. Yeah. God, flesh, <laughs> and the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, we who were afar off have now been brought near yeah. through the cross of Jesus Christ. That yeah. is atonement. Yeah. If a person uh, is of the opinion, well, I don't really care about Christianity, they're obviously away from God, um, and we do pray for their mm-hmm. regeneration, for their mm-hmm. rebirth, don't we? Um, what might be practically the steps that we see a person take? Not all are the same, I'm sure. Just in real practical, basic terms, as they come to realize that, wow, I've sinned against God. Let me uh, describe a person, let's say, who's 20 years old. That's when I came to Christ. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think what the Holy Spirit does, and remember that this is the inward work of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. I had heard the gospel, uh, but it was a kind of just a concept with me. It was not really personal. But I remember coming to a keen sense that I was truly lost Mm -hmm. and away from God and a keen sense of sin. And that, of course, was God's convicting power. I, I, I'm, I'm quite uh, convinced that a normal functioning adult uh, who hears the gospel and the Spirit is working in his heart will first come to a place that uh, they understand themselves to be lost and away mm-hmm. f- and alienated from that one who sent his son. Mm. And I, I would say it starts there. Mm-hmm. That's right. We call that uh, conviction. And, conviction. And that's yeah. we have, a conviction of sin, and that leads to the next step, which is repentance mm-hmm. of that sin. Now, we're talking about words and defining words. How would you define repentance? Well, repentance would be agreeing with God that your sin is wrong and and evil and I can't help but remember the confession. I grew up in the Lutheran church, and we had a prayer of confession. And we're talking about our sins, and it justly deserves thy temporal and eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Recognizing God's right to judge us for that sin, which also is a big concept different from what we have today, because very yeah. often we look at sin today and say, well, it's, you know, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas... In the eyes of God, it is horrendous, and it's because of who we've offended. We've offended a holy God. The Greek word, uh, one of the Greek words uh, used in the New Testament is metanoia, to have a new Mm -hmm. mind. And I think Mark is describing that. In the Old Testament, there are a number of words that have to do with repentance, but one of my favorite is the word Shuv, which means to turn or return to the Lord. And the prophets were always calling Israel to return to the Lord, to turn away from their sins. 
uh, to turn away from their idols and to return to the Lord. So in a real sense, uh, I think it's summarized in the hymn, I will arise and go to Jesus. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's um, uh, God enables you to do that, of course, but it is in that sense that we repent. It's mm. returning to the Father's house, fleeing from yeah. uh, the marketplace, yeah. if you will, of sin. Yeah. And when we're doing that, and here's an interesting point, I think, when we're doing that, because we kind of look back at this whole thing and try to analyze it, think it through, something had already happened there from God towards us. There was a um, a powerful drawing, a powerful quickening of our of our heart, so that yeah. we would start to see, start to um, desire to be right with our Heavenly Father, yeah. whom we had sinned against, right? Yeah, that's part of the regeneration uh, mm. of the Holy Spirit, because mm-hmm. we are dead in our trespasses and sin, as the Scripture tells us. We're dead in our trespasses. Dead men can't can't yeah. change. They, they can't turn. And it's when that Holy Spirit comes and uh, regenerates us. Yes, that's when then we we can come, not just to repentance, but to see that our only way out is Jesus Christ. And this is important because the Bible talks about repentance, but it also talks about repentance unto life. There's yeah. there's two kinds of repentance. You can repent and feel sorry for your sin. Maybe in, somebody's in, caught red-handed, caught. And yeah, now they feel sorry. They they feel sorry, but that uh-huh. doesn't that doesn't save them. It's not That's the remorse. Same. Remorse, yeah, yeah. and we we have a classic example of that with Judas Iscariot. All right, Judas Iscariot. I have betrayed innocent blood. Throws the thirty pieces of silver down. Now, what's he going to do about that? Well, he tries to take care of it all by himself. He uses his own effort, and he goes out and hangs himself. Oh uh, yes. And so, part of that repentance. The repentance unto life is the one where we have that remorse, but we also realize that we can't do anything. Mm-hmm. We can't do anything to take and make up for that sin that we've committed. I think the classical text uh, for me is that uh, famous passage in John's Gospel, chapter 6, on the bread of life, and there are a few verses there mm-hmm. that demonstrate that our repentance truly is a gift from God, it is a work of God in our hearts and mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, Jesus says, "I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty." But he goes on to say, "All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away." Amen. But then he goes on to say, down in verse forty-three, there, uh, "No one can come to me." Unless the Father who sent me draws him. So there's the drawing. There's mm-hmm. the drawing. Verse 44, uh, yes. It's, uh, as it says in the book of Acts, it's given not only on you to believe on him, but to to repent. Repentance is a gift just like faith. Yeah. That's right. You know, this is – go ahead, Mark. I was going to say, that is, that it repents unto life is a gift, and apart from the Holy Spirit, all we have is the remorse, mm, the, right. the Judas type of repentance – and with the Holy Spirit, and then we repent. We have that repentance unto life. This is a wonderful place to stop. I see mm-hmm. we're out of time already on this edition of A Plain Answer. And that is, um, maybe today you're out there, and you're feeling the tugging of God's Holy Spirit in your heart. 
you realize that you have offended a holy God. He's drawing you. And um, come to Jesus. It's that simple. Repent of your sins and ask him to forgive you of your sins. Receive his free gift of salvation into your heart by faith and become a child of God. And uh, when you do, this verse will be true in your life where Jesus said, This is the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. With that, we're out of time, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us today. This has been another edition of A Plain Answer. I've been joined with the Reverend Mark Diedrich and Dr. John Vance. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Check out this broadcast on iTunes. Just uh, go to Redeemer Broadcasting. All of those downloads are free. And just uh, avail yourself of that opportunity. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. 